Welcome back to Picture Scripture. The title of today's message is, I Never Knew You. And we're going to be reading out of Matthew 7, 21-23. It is written, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Picture this. A homeless man, dirty and disheveled, pushes a shopping cart full of his belongings near the front entrance of a church building. The unclean and unkept man looks around and, seeing no one, decides to sit down beside the cart for a moment of rest. However, the homeless man's peaceful moment alone is soon disrupted by the churchgoers who start to enter the church building. After all, it's a Sunday, and church service is about to begin soon. Some of the churchgoers look at the homeless man, but then enter inside the church building without even a second thought of the homeless man. One lady even says to her husband, Hurry, or someone will sit in my favorite seat. Some churchgoers, however, stop and hesitate, contemplating whether or not they should say or do something. However, either fear, selfishness, or judgmental thoughts about the homeless man gets the best of them, and they also walk inside the church without helping the homeless man. However, a small group of people toward the back end of the church's parking lot witnessed the hesitant churchgoers and saw that they didn't help the homeless man. Now, when this small group arrives at the entrance of the church, a man in a suit steps toward the homeless man and gives him a handful of money. A woman nearby says to the man in the suit, Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. And the man responds, Oh, what? That? No, that was nothing. I mean, it's just money, right? Moments later, after that small group goes inside, another small group arrives, but this time a 12-year-old girl approaches the homeless man, bends down to his eye level, looks at him straight in the eyes, and says, Hi, you can come inside if you want to. You can even sit next to us if you want to. Do you want to come inside? Now ponder on this. Who loved the homeless man in this story? Now you might be tempted to say that both the man in the suit and the little girl loved the homeless man. However, what you don't know is the motive of the man in the suit who gave the money. While the man in the suit was in the parking lot, he noticed how some churchgoers hesitated and then walked inside without helping the homeless man. The man in the suit thought to himself, this is a perfect opportunity. I'll give that bum some money and then everyone coming inside will see me give that worthless guy money and they'll think I'm amazing, especially that gorgeous woman over there. And then she'll probably want me. Thanks a lot, homeless guy. I think you're going to get me a date tonight. The truth is that the man in the suit sees the homeless man often in different places around town, yet he never once cared to help him. The man in the suit only helped the homeless man on this occasion because it was an opportune moment to make himself look good in front of a woman whom he lusted after. In addition, the man in the suit made sure that the fistful of money was only $1 bills crumpled in such a way as to give the appearance of it being a large, generous gift. The little girl, however, genuinely loved the homeless man and even invited him inside the building as her honored guest. Though she did not give the homeless man money, her love was genuine and pure. 
Now this specific passage of Matthew 7, 21 to 23 needs to be understood in its proper context, which is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through Matthew chapter 7, verse 29. And this is known as Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus gave the message on a hillside near Capernaum. In addition, a parallel passage can be found in Luke 6, 20 to 49. Now when we study all scripture together, only then will the depth of this passage be revealed and rightly understood. Remember, scripture always interprets scripture. So first and foremost, it is important to understand who Jesus was teaching in these passages. Jesus was not preaching at unbelievers, rather Jesus was teaching to a general crowd of followers, or potential disciples, and specific individuals whom Jesus chose to be his disciples. Jesus had just taught how his disciples must live according to a higher standard of righteousness than even the Pharisees, concluding by saying that they need to be perfect as their heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew 5, 13-48. Jesus then went on to teach about not being hypocrites and acting out pious performances just to gain the approval of mere men, Matthew 6, 1-18. After that, Jesus taught them that no one can serve two masters, therefore God should be the only one we truly serve, not false gods or even money, Matthew 6, 19-24. In fact, we are to rely solely upon God and not worry about the things of this world because God is our source and provider. Matthew 6, 25-34 Jesus then taught about self-examination and not being a hypocrite who unnecessarily judges his brothers or sisters. Matthew 7, 1-6 And the parallel passage is Luke 6, 37-42 Jesus then taught that they need to seek the Lord as children of the King, expecting the King to respond as a loving Father, Matthew 7, 7-11. And then, Jesus taught the golden rule in that we need to love others as we would want to be loved ourselves, Matthew 7, 12. And then in Matthew 7, 13-14, we are told that the entrance to the kingdom of heaven is a small gate with a narrow entrance, and only a few find it. However, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many will enter through that gate. John 14:6 informs us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through Jesus. In Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20, Jesus taught that false prophets will appear as sheep, but will actually be ravenous wolves within. And we actually see this throughout multiple scriptures in the Bible. And for this reason, every tree will be known by its fruit, because a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit, as we discussed in the fruitless picture scripture from Matthew 21, 18 to 22. And so now, we finally arrive to the specific passage under examination, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It is written that not everyone who acknowledges Jesus as Lord will enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of the Father. But how can someone acknowledge Jesus as Lord and still be denied entry? How does that make sense? Well, the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21 verses 28 to 32 helps us understand the concept of doing the will of the Father. 
In that parable, one son refused to be obedient to his father, but then later regretted his decision, changed his mind, he repented, and then he did what the father asked him to do. The other son, however, offering mere lip service, told his father that he would do what the father asked him to do, but then he never did it. The difference is obedience. The evidence is in the fruit. Words are meaningless without the action which should accompany the words. The Lord desires us to live out His Word, not just talk about it. What you do cannot be separated from what you believe. Jesus exposed those people who sounded religious yet had no personal relationship with Him. A good example of this is found in Matthew 23, 13-36, when Jesus publicly condemned the Pharisees for being hypocrites. The Pharisees proudly proclaimed themselves to be righteous men of God, yet they didn't live in obedience, practicing what they preached. Thus, someone who claims to be religious or righteous yet acts wickedly will be the person to hear these words from Jesus. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In Matthew 7 verse 23, Jesus provides the reason for rejecting these people. They were workers of lawlessness. Now that word lawlessness is the English translation of the Greek word anomia, which means a person of iniquity, a person who possesses no fixed moral standard. It is the wickedness of knowing the law, yet living contrary to the knowledge of the law. According to Matthew 13, 41, these are the unrighteous and evil tares who will be gathered and thrown into the fire at harvest time. But how can these people be wicked if they claim to have prophesied in the name of Jesus, casted out demons in his name, and performed miracles in his name? I mean, after all, only a few verses earlier it is written that a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Well, to this apparent contradiction, it seems evident that the good these people did was only superficial. After all, the Pharisees tithed, yet they neglected justice and mercy. They looked good on the outside, yet they were full of robbery and self-indulgence. They were whitewashed tombs and looked beautiful on the outside, yet were dead inside, full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, anomia. They taught the right things, yet lived wrong by doing wicked deeds. In fact, it was for this reason Jesus told his disciples to do and observe what the Pharisees said, but not to do what they did because they did not practice what they preached. Matthew 23, 3. Also, mighty works are not necessarily proof of the Father's will since they can come from sources other than God, including demons and human contrivance. In Exodus chapter 7, Pharaoh's sorcerers reproduced some of God's miraculous wonders, which caused Pharaoh to harden his heart in obstinate pride. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 8-12, Paul wrote that when the lawless one comes, it will be in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs of false wonders. And again, and in Revelation 13, verses 13-14, the beast from the earth will deceive many because he will make fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. 
Now, we must also remember that it is written in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, that even if we speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, we have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If we have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge, and if we have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, we are nothing. And even if we give all our possessions to feed the poor, and if we surrender our bodies to be burned, but do not have love, it profits us nothing. In fact, the great commandment as written in Matthew 22, 36-40, instructs us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, while also loving our neighbors as we would love ourselves. Therefore, motive matters. Why you do what you do is even more important than what you do. In addition, Mark 9, 38-40 reveals something quite interesting that helps us better understand Matthew 7, 21-23. John reported to Jesus and told him that they saw a person casting out demons in his name, and they tried to prevent him because that person was not a follower in their group. But Jesus said to John, do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Thus, it is yet another example of how God uses all things for his glory even if some people have wrong motives and or evil intentions. And though a person who experiences a miracle through the name of Jesus will not be able to speak evil of him, the Lord still knows that person's heart and will judge that person according to his or her faith and fruit. Just because Jesus allows a miracle to be performed in his name doesn't mean the individual using his name has the Lord's approval. Rather, the Lord's approval for the miracle brings glory to his name despite the individual's relationship with the Lord. God allows whatever will produce the greater good. However, consider also how in Acts chapter 19 verses 13 to 14, Jewish exorcists who traveled from place to place attempted to assert authority over a demon by saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now these Jews used Jesus' name, but they did not have a personal relationship with him. And so it is written in verses 15 through 17, And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man, in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So much so, in fact, that in verses 18 to 19, many people confessed their sins and decided to burn all of their magic books. And so in this passage, it is evident that the Lord did not allow a demon to be cast out by his name in this particular scenario because it brought about the greater good. 
However, as Mark 9, 38-40 implies, Jesus sometimes allowed miracles in his name because that scenario brought about the greater good. And so it does not logically follow that everyone who uses the name of Jesus has a genuine relationship with Jesus, truly living out the great commandments of loving God and loving others with the right motives. Some people use the name of Jesus for wrong motives. For example, many prosperity gospel preachers use the name of Jesus for personal gain so as to acquire wealth for themselves. Though they are using the name of Jesus, and some people do benefit from this, they're actually living in disobedience to what the Lord commanded in Matthew 6.24 because they made money their master. Some other people preach in the name of Jesus while hating the people they preach to. Again, remember what is written in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, that their actions are worthless because they're not doing it out from love. Sadly, some people use the name of Jesus in a prideful way, considering themselves better than others, as if they've attained a level of holiness others cannot attain. However, because God is sovereign, he is able to use misaligned or even malevolent motives in order to produce a greater good. And finally, the example of Judas Iscariot reveals that a proclamation of following Jesus does not always indicate a genuine relationship nor a truly repentant heart. In Luke 10, 17-20, the 70 disciples had been able to cast out demons. However, Jesus made it clear that they were not to rejoice that the spirits were subject to them, but that their names would be recorded in heaven. But did all of those disciples endure until the end and remain faithful? Or did they walk away like many others had done, as we see in John 6, 60-66? If any of them did walk away, they certainly would have heard those dreadful words of rejection from Jesus because no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God, as it is written in Luke 9, 62. In fact, Paul informs us in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 that we must run the race with endurance and live a disciplined life of obedience so that even though we preach to others, we will not be disqualified ourselves. Though it is written in Matthew 10, 32 that everyone who confesses Jesus before men will be graced with the Lord also confessing that person before the Father in heaven, it must be understood that this is more than mere lip service. Lip service will never be good enough if hearts are far away from the Lord, as we see in multiple scriptures, such as Isaiah 29.13, Matthew 15.8, or Mark 7.6. In fact, it is written that every knee will bow to the Lord and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, but the confession at that time will be too late. Now, many people quote Matthew 7, 21-23 without examining the depth beyond the surface of those words. But in verse 24, it begins with an important word, therefore. 
It is important because that word means it is the continuation from verse 23 and the beginning of a solution to the presented problem. So what is this solution? In Matthew 7, 24-27, and in Luke 6, 46-49, Jesus provides yet another parable of two people. This time, these two people, they build on two different foundations. The two lives Jesus compares at the end of the Sermon on the Mount have several points in common. They both build, they both hear God's word, and they both experience the storm of life. After all, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. Matthew 5.45 God does not show partiality. However, only one of the two in the parable is called wise and survives the storm. There is an eternally big difference between having a foundation on the rock and building your life on sinking sand. Numerous wadis or dry gulches in and around Israel made this parable particularly apt. Those tempted to erect even temporary shelters in the flat, parched stream beds might find themselves swept away in the flash floods that a sudden downpour could create. During the hot summer months, the sand around the Sea of Galilee was hard on the surface. However, a wise builder knew that he needed to dig several feet below the surface to the bedrock in order to establish the foundation for his home. And for this reason, Luke 6.48 says, The wise person dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. In fact, Jesus is the rock, as we see throughout multiple scriptures. But Jesus is not teaching salvation by works because Matthew 7.23 stresses the need for a real relationship with him. In fact, the wise person who dug deep symbolizes depth in a relationship rather than a shallow and superficial one. The difference between the two in the parable is not caused by ignorance, but by one ignoring what Jesus said. The real difference between the two is that the wise person took action after hearing God's word. It is for this reason Jesus said in Luke 6:46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Greater than hearing or knowing God's word is actually living it out. As it says in John 13:17, Romans 2:13, or James 1:22-25 and James 2:14-20. After all, even Satan knows God's word, Matthew 4, 6, but the devil was not obedient to God's word. But what about you? Are you obedient to the word? It is written in 1 Samuel 15, 22, that obedience is better than sacrifice. And in verse 23, Samuel says, Rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. However, relationship is greater than religious acts, as we see throughout multiple scriptures. Acting out from compulsion only reveals an uncommitted heart. Examine such scriptures as Exodus 3.19, 2 Corinthians 9.7, or 1 Peter 5.2. The real question is this, do you only know of Jesus, or do you truly know him as your Lord and Savior? In John chapter 8, the Pharisees, who claimed to be the most righteous, questioned Jesus' identity. 
In John 8:19, Jesus responded by saying, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And in John 8, 41-47, the Pharisees claimed that God was their Father. However, Jesus responded by informing them that they didn't understand His Word because their Father was the devil. In stark contrast, in Matthew 16, 13-17, when Jesus asked His disciples who they say He is, Peter answered confidently, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Listen, there is an eternally big difference between knowing of Jesus and knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For it is written that even Jesus' brothers did not have faith in him during his earthly ministry. John 7, 3-5 It was for this reason Jesus said that only those who do the will of the Father are true family members. Matthew 12, 46-50 If Jesus is Lord, you will live in obedience to his word, not out of obligation, but out from love. Do you merely hear God's word, or do you also take action from what you heard? Again, in Luke 6:46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The truth is that the Lord knows his sheep and who belongs in the kingdom. Psalm 1:6, 1 Corinthians 8:3. 2 Timothy 2.19 Are you a child of the one true King? Are you one of the sheep? Will you be granted access into the kingdom? Or will Jesus say he never knew you because you practiced lawlessness? True family members have Christ in their hearts, as it is written in Ephesians 3.17, and they have the mind of Christ, Romans 12.2, 1 Corinthians 2.16. True family members do the will of the Father, and this is because true children of God know the shepherd's voice and they go where he goes and does what he does. It is written in 1 John 2.6, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Thank you for listening to Picture Scripture by Pointless Thorns Ministries. All Bible study lessons are provided absolutely free of charge to all people who desire to become dedicated disciples of Christ. However, in order to continue long term, we do rely on listener support. If you would like to partner with Pointless Thorns Ministries as a financial backer to ensure we can train up as many disciples as possible, you can give either a one-time or monthly tax-deductible donation by visiting pointlessthorns.wordpress.com or by simply clicking the link provided in our bio or about us section. May God continue to bless you as you continue to bless others.